Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our tracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine, and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. This time, we're going to visit the beautiful boot-shaped land of Italy and hear about a horse who transcended the sport of horse racing in that country to such an extent that his name is still synonymous with sporting perfection. Within most horse racing nations, there are never-ending debates about who was the best horse to have been trained and run within that country. In Italy, they have no such conundrum. It was a sad irony that the greatest horse bred by that glorious owner-breeder Federico Tizio, the mastermind behind Niarco, would only start running just a month after the 85-year-old Tizio's death. Rebo was foaled at the UK's National Stud, then in West Sussex. His sire, Tenerani, had been a post-war champion in Italy and England, winning both the Goodwood Cup and Queen Elizabeth Stakes, so stamina was unlikely to ever be an issue. Sent into training with Ugo Penko, and always ridden by top veteran Enrico Camici, he was named after the slightly obscure 19th-century French realist painter Théodule Ribot. Yet it all started unassumingly, with Ribot being a tiny yearling, nicknamed Il Piccolo, the little one, meaning that it was not considered worthwhile entering him in the Italian classics. Nevertheless, he steadily grew over the years into a highly muscular and powerful individual. Sixteen hands of deep girth, huge lung capacity, impressive eyes and good feet, and improving each year like a fine wine. At two, running mainly in Milan, he started over five furlongs, winning the Premio Tamuschio by a length, before a two-length victory in the Criterium Nazionale, finishing with a narrower victory in the Gran Criterium. He looked very useful. Aged three, ambitions grew further, and he really began blitzing his opposition. First, by six lengths in the Premio Pisa, and then, officially by ten lengths back in Milan, in the Premio Emanuele Filiberto, although the photos prove this ten lengths to be an almost laughable underestimate. His summer campaign was rounded out over the 12-furlong Premio Bessana, where he destroyed Derain by ten lengths, form which was franked a fortnight later, when the latter easily won the Italian St. Ledger. Rebo wasn't averse to demonstrating cultish behaviour. Some of his entourage went so far as to call it rebellious. But as with so many other capricious geniuses, it took some observation and imagination to temper it. In Rebo's case, it was his groom who noticed how Rebo's difficult behaviour would suddenly change whenever he was in the proximity of his stablemate, Magistris. The latter, an infinitely more chilled animal, had a wonderful calming influence on Rebo. And so it was decided that they should hang out together wherever possible, including always being trained as a pair. It was an equine friendship that would last throughout the rest of his career. Indeed, whenever Rebo travelled to run abroad, Magistris would go with him, even though he wasn't running himself. It worked a treat. Now proven over a mile and a half, Connections then chose to test Rebo against Europe's best in the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. Starting at lengthy 9-1 to odds, 
he duly beat the international field easily by three lengths, under a hands-and-heels ride. Europe was impressed, and even more so when he returned to Milan for the Italian arc, the Gran Premio del Jockey Club, and ploughed through the mud to crush Norman, the winner of the previous two iterations, by 15 lengths. Rebo was already a great, and he would get better. At four, and now a bona fide star in his homeland, Rebo again started his campaign in Group 1 company in Milan, winning three races of between 10 and 12 furlongs by a combined distance of 24 lengths. Bookmakers had virtually stopped taking bets in his races. He was then tested over a longer 15 furlongs in Italy's premier wait-for-age race at the time, the Gran Premio di Milano. It made no difference, with Rebo displaying his incredible versatility by trotting up by an official eight lengths, although witnesses swore that it was considerably further. Rebo now travelled again, taking in England's top middle-distance wait-for-age race, the King George and Queen Elizabeth stakes at Ascot. The ground was once again very deep and slow, and Rebo started at 5-2 to two on. Although shoved along by Kamichi from quite early on to get him going in the unsuitable conditions, Rebo drew away from the Queen's horse, High Velt, to win impressively by five lengths, his 14th straight victory. He was already a champion, but after an easy nine furlong victory back in Milan, connections were keen to seal his immortality with a rare second victory in the arc. The 1956 running was of an even higher calibre than the previous year, with Irish derby winner Talgo leading French three-year-old Taneco and two top US middle horses, US champion middle distance turf horse Career Boy and future Washington DC international winner Mr Boeing, all lining up to take their chances. And that was the order in which Rebo beat them, pouring it on in the muddy Longchamp Strait, to win by an official six lengths that again, photos and video evidence confirm to be half as far again. It was both his final and his crowning glory, a performance to rank with any in the history of this prestigious race, and earning in the process one of the highest ratings in history. To give some further context both to his reputation and to that performance, not only did Rebo start odds-on, but Talgo, a classic winner, was available at 100 to 1. Meanwhile, legendary US jockey Eddie Arcaro, confidently partnering career boy, was overwhelmed. I was going along there pretty good. Fast enough to win it, I thought. When all of a sudden, whoosh, a horse took off from me so fast I couldn't recognise him. It had eerie echoes of Charles Bouillon's experience during Farris's Grand Prix de Paris at the same track 17 years earlier. Half the horses that Rebo trounced that day would go on to Group 1 glory in the next 18 months. And thus, this legend of European racing retired after 16 races in which not only was he unbeaten, but he was never properly extended. That said, there was a final flourish, with his Italian public desperate to see him once more. Two exhibition gallops were put on in Rome, allowing Rebo to sprint clear of, who else, Magistris, in glorious isolation. As the crowd roared their approval, Rebo came to a halt, paused, and then threw Camici off his back. Almost everyone saw the funny side. His versatility was immense, whether over five furlongs or 15, whether on dry ground or in desperately sticky turf, 
he dispatched his rivals effortlessly. Put together, his official total winning distances over those 16 races was 105 lengths, averaging out at 6.5 lengths per race. Unofficially, of course, it was many more. Retiring to stud first in Newmarket and then Italy, it didn't take long for him to make his mark. Two offspring followed in their father's footsteps and won the arc, Mulvedo in 1961 and Prince Royal in 1964. He was subsequently leased out for five years at the considerable sum of 1.35 million US dollars to John Galbraith's Derby Dan stud in Kentucky, becoming champion British and Irish sire three times in the 1960s. But he also became utterly cantankerous, with only one very tough stable lad able to get anywhere near him. He simply couldn't abide being near any other stallion. It was clear too that he loathed being confined to his stall and would regularly jump up to place his front hooves on top of the wooden panel at the front of his barn, allowing him to gnaw at his favourite wooden beam. Although unproven, it might have been an undiagnosed brain tumour eating away at him. Or perhaps he just missed Magistris. With no insurance company wanting to cover his transport back to Europe, he remained in the States until his death at 20. A slightly ignominious end, perhaps but ultimately insignificant compared to his untouchability on the track. To say that he made Italy proud is to undercook his impact. The country's daily sports bible, La Gazzetta dello Sport, held a poll at the end of the 20th century, and Rebo was named fourth greatest Italian athlete, not horse note, but athlete, in the 20th century. It would be hard to find any other sports-mad nation ranking their favourite equine so highly alongside their human heroes. But that was the effect that Rebo still had, decades after his superlative performances. It had always been the stated goal of Tizio, the Wizard of Dormello, to boil down his ambition into one simple but highly challenging outcome. To breed and raise a racehorse, which over any distance could carry the heaviest weight in the shortest time. To that end, legacies don't come much better. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and explore the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening. <laughs>